Welcome back to another episode of the Major Journey Podcast, where we showcase stories from cannabis industry power players. On this week's episode, we're talking with someone who went from being an assistant principal to jumping into the digital marketing space, moving on to work in the hemp and CBD franchising world, to now owning his own marketing firm, Pisca Peaks Ventures, that functions as a fractional CMO for other businesses in need of professional guidance, especially when it comes to digital marketing. Without further ado, Brandon Bobart, welcome to the show. Hey, good morning, Mike. How are you doing today, sir? I'm doing good, man. How about you? I can't complain. It's Wednesday. Um, we're alive, right? Uh, it's closing in on the end of one of right the better years in recent memory. Um, so yeah, I mean, everything's good. Yeah, right on. I'm so glad we uh, we finally got to do this, man. It feels like it almost feels like every time we get on the phone together, we end up going down some deep philosophical, introspective rabbit hole about uh, about business and life. And I've always appreciated your your curiosity and how you tend to question how things work. And I think that's one of the coolest parts about uh, about getting to know you over the last year or so of us working together. So um, tell us a little bit about how you went from being an assistant principal to jumping into digital marketing, then coming over into the CBD and hemp franchising space, and now leading your own marketing firm and how that journey kind of took place and the evolution of that. Yeah, no, it's a, that's, that's a great question. And thanks for asking. I guess I'll frame it with, you know, for anybody out there who's wondering, like, you know, can I get out of this career that I'm in? Or, you know, can I make a pivot in my 30s or 40s or 50s? And I think the point of this next piece is the answer is yes, right? Um, so, you know, coming out of college, 2008, 2009, things were tough job-wise. So I got a teaching degree. Um, I had an English background, wasn't really sure what I wanted to do, came out of school. It was a solid job, ended up in education, love the coaching aspect, love connecting with the people, love the community piece. Um, I feel like schools are one of the last, you know, real true pieces of, of community. We're so fragmented. And so that was nice. And I, I, I went through that through my twenties, became an administrator, um, worked in Charleston, South Carolina, mainly. So with title one students, which if you're not familiar, just means a federal designation uh, receives federal funds for a certain social uh, demographic uh, kind of area. So, um, but I guess my problem with it was, you know, kind of like you alluded to is I'm, I'm always thinking about a better way to do something. And in the school system, it's a bureaucracy. And so the answer always was, well, how do we do it before? Not how can we do it more creatively? And so, you know, I saw all these, you know, these kids and they were coming out of school and they had these aspirations. And they had dreams, but, you know, they didn't necessarily have real life skills to kind of implement that. So we started working with local companies, doing some marketing, you know, kind of helping them build some internships out with local restaurants. And they would do some social media stuff. And I just kind of fell in love with that storytelling, you know, that uh, kind of combined my background in English, where I fell in love with, with novels and literature and fiction and nonfiction growing up. And it kind of allowed you the ability to tell a bunch of different stories, right? And you can tell stories, you know, through uh, the lens of, of different people and different experiences. And so that really kind of captivated me. So I think, you know, 2015, 16 was when I would say, OK, now I've started marketing. Um, and so kind of over the next couple of years, just did it informally. Um, fast forward to Asheville, North Carolina, 2017, 2018, excuse me. Um, took a leap of faith, man. Saw the ad in the paper. 
Um, it was for a very low paying assistant type role with a, you know, local burgeoning hemp company called Franny's Pharmacy. Um, kind of lied to the wife and told her it paid more than it did. Uh, <laughs> um, so I could take this, this leap, took it. Uh, within two weeks, I, you know, met the owner. I was going to help with build outs uh, for their second location at the time. Fast forward a couple months, I had basically designed my own, my own role. Um, and then I was really able to um, put my money where my mouth was. I invested in the company. Um, I bought an ownership stake in the franchise company um, and then helped Franny and Jeff, the fantastic owners of, of that company, um, sell franchises. So we ended up selling eight franchises uh, in 2019. And I think really helped them put them on the map as a regional um, high quality female founded purveyor of CBD products. And beginning of 2020, uh, had the baby at home, was kind of tired of traveling around to the different dispensaries. And so <laughs> kind of looked into this role and said, what can, what skill sets do I have? What is the only thing that I can do um, well? And, and how can I help other businesses? I really saw a niche in, in the solo entrepreneur getting started, don't have thousands of dollars to, to get a website and marketing plan. And so we really positioned ourselves as, as that, as a um, small mom and pop holistic marketing firm. We started with a handful of clients. And, you know, as of today, I think we're a current roster of, of 12, 15, like kind of fluctuating. Um, not everyone's on like a monthly type deal, but you know, that's kind of where we oscillate. That's cool, man. So one of the, uh, one of the things that is really interesting to me is that you kind of got started in education right now fast forwarding at this like timeline of your career and all the entrepreneurial endeavors that you've kind of embarked on even taking that leap of faith going to Asheville and working with Franny's pharmacy it almost seems like kind of trail by fire and you're just teaching yourself as you go along the way and I'm sure you have you know like a like almost in your DNA, it's like embedded that, you know, or you have like a unique perspective on certain things that gives you an advantage to approaching marketing sales. You know, how are we going to position a company or brand or a person, but coming from education, do you feel like the, today's education system is actually teaching us how to think for ourselves and creatively problem solve, or is it because of that bureaucracy that it's more so just like a like a funnel. And it's just kind of like, this is how it's always been done. This is what we want you to do. Because I've been, I've been going back and forth and I've just been thinking about this lately. Like some of the best stuff that I've ever learned has been in conversations that you and I have had, or like conversations that I've personally had with like Franny or Jeff or just other successful entrepreneurs that I look up to, or maybe even in books or podcasts or YouTube videos. So like, what what's your take on that? Cause you have, a, you have a really unique vantage point on this. Yeah, um, I think unfortunately, generally speaking, the school system has created a uh, performance-based measure where we are leveling the field, right? All third graders should score a certain proficiency on one test. And it's counterintuitive to the philosophies that they teach teachers, right? You know, they teach teachers and they teach educators and psychologists multiple intelligences, right? You know, you look at your friend set or your network or your business, none of them have the same skill sets. And so, you know, in the interest of having um, performance-based metrics and being accountable for the spending, right, the government has instituted the system and some people will excel and they'll perform well 
and some people won't. And unfortunately, what it forces the teachers, my wife's a teacher, she teaches fourth grade, um, to do is create lessons that teach the test. So I'm really optimizing you for a test. I'm not optimizing you for thinking. Um, and there's a lot of, you know, uh, problem solving deficiencies that start rearing their head in high school when the problems become more analytical and the solution's not just A or B and you've really got to come up with a unique approach, right? And so I think what I was able to learn in education and what I was forced to do is we were always learning new stuff, right? It was new software, new education, um, new philosophy, new you know curriculum, whatever that new thing was. And so I really just became a learner, right? Like I was really adept at absorbing new information, synthesizing it quickly. Um, and you know, 2008, 2009, when I started, iPads were getting involved in education. So coming up with that background really um, pushed me ahead of all my peers or you know colleagues who were in their 30s or 40s at the time. So I became this digital guru. And so you know. Uh, it, it just became kind of an easy way to uh, absorb the information and synthesize it, I guess. That's pretty cool. So do you have any personal favorite like books or podcasts that you go to for it could, like a plethora of things like business or like, like marketing or like, where do you kind of go to get your, your inspiration and kind of, you know, get your juices going? Sure. Uh, I have two. Um, if you're looking at pure marketing, uh, Neil Patel has one and it's uh quick and dirty. I think it's like three minutes to five minutes each time. And it's him and his business partner and it is pure content. And so you could do a, a quick loop around the neighborhood and come back with 15 like brand new ideas that then you can go disperse amongst your clients. And, you know, as far as just general um, business entrepreneurship, mentorship, it's not an original one, but I love Tim Ferriss. You know, and he talks a lot in his podcast about finding a North Star. You know, the word profit has this weird connotation to it. But, you know, in life and in business, we've got to find people that we can align our values to. And so I've tried to do that in my own world, you know, find business owners that are uh, in their 30s or 40s or a little bit ahead of me down the road um, and, and looking at what do they do to take care of their family? How do they manage their time? You know, how do they communicate with people? What are their emails like? You know, what, just all those types of things and then synthesize it into myself and make it my own. Um, and, you know, we're, we're able to do that easily now with that, plus the addition of online content. Right. I mean, there's so many uh, experts and tutorials and how to's and content marketing has become such a big piece that, you know, if you really want to know how to do digital marketing, you can log on the HubSpot and Google Classroom. And there's just such a wide range of information out there. Yeah, you mentioned Tim Ferriss, who I'm personally, I'm, I'm a fan of some of his work also. Uh, he wrote a book, and I'm sure most Tim Ferriss fans out there know The 4-Hour Workweek. Are you familiar with that book? Oh, yeah. Automate. And I guess what I learned from that book is you can't automate and delegate something you don't understand. And I made that mistake this year. I, I had a, I hired someone, I gave him some tasks that, you know, I had a little bit of understanding of, but I wasn't like fully grasping. So when they didn't get done and things weren't, you know, buttoned up like they should have been, I really was no for the wiser. And in that point, I cost myself business. Um, so I learned, you know, really easily, like you've got to dig into it. And you've got to learn the skills yourself to delegate the skill, which is kind of one of the big things of that, of that book. Yeah. When you when you delegate and this is something that I'm, I'm 
kind of like really trying to immerse myself in, especially as we prepare for 2021, is just fine tuning systems and processes uh, to make things more efficient. And just like you, I've had a couple scenarios over the years where, you know, things have, I was super grateful because business was great and it was ramping up and I had, you know, two or three months where the growth was just explosive, but then it kind of fell apart because I didn't have a system in place to, to keep it all and to manage it. And so things started falling through the cracks and then boom, here we are with a, with a problem that we, we thought we would never encounter, but here we are. So when it comes to systems and processes, do you have any advice on how to, how to go from taking something, you know, and then actually turning that into a system that you can just put into a PDF and give to somebody. And now you all, you essentially have this, you know, like almost like a, like a conveyor belt where you can just put anybody in there. Yeah. Um, because that's, that's kind of what I've picked up on. There's a book called built to sell. And they essentially say that you want to know, just like you said, you want to know something so well that you can just lay it out for somebody in a step-by-step guide on how to do it. And you can just take someone, put them in. And then if they choose to leave for good or bad reasons, you can just bring somebody else in. And it's almost like I'm oversimplifying it, but it's almost like nothing changed. So like, how do you, how do you kind of approach that? I'm curious. Um, well, I'm, I'm learning. Um, but I think doing it collaboratively at first is, is what I'm learning. And I'll give you an example. I've, I'm hiring an account manager. That's a new role for me. Um, I've pretty much been the account manager, right? Like I'm the CEO, the founder, the account manager, all the things to all the people. And it, it, I don't have the time to be up here if I'm doing that. And so I've said, okay, so first I'm asking questions of other people that are doing it successfully. So I've got a couple agencies I've partnered with, been in the business longer. First thing is like, how do you structure it, right? Like, let's start with someone that's successful. And then it's like, all right, as we get into these roles, let's do the first couple together and let's dial in that system. And so we've been really getting a lot of personal branding work. And so we're really trying to dial in what does a personal branding customer experience and customer journey look like at Pisca Peaks? And through that, it's building decks using it on client A, reflecting on client A, making improvements, client. And so I don't know if it's ever done, but it's it's gotta get to a point where me and the account manager are, are to me, we can finish each other's sentences, right? Like she understands what I want and I understand what she wants and, and they, they lockstep, they make sense, they fit the collective vision um, and it just being open to flexibility, you know, and adjusting it if it doesn't work um and two you know understanding like we build these really great systems i have a client that recently said i'm not going to follow your system and if you don't do it i'll find someone else to do it and so you know like you can even build these great systems and how do you make so it's it's always a nuance and like we said yesterday we were talking people just make it really difficult right um (laughs) if, if we had a system and the system was great or if the business plan was the actual execution of the business you know, that's a different story. But when we add these variables and, you know, you throw in a COVID and global pandemic and yeah. it presses people differently, stresses come out um, and that, that manifests right into different things. Yeah. And you, you brought up COVID. Um, one of the things I, I remember you, you and I have talked about kind of like stress, stress management, working from home. How do you kind of, you know, cope with being in front of the computer, being on calls and emails all day. 
uh, one of the things I remember you telling me about a while back when, when all this started was that you just go for walks or you go for morning runs. And that's something that I've started to incorporate into my morning routine. Every morning after breakfast, I'll just go out for a walk and clear my head. No phone. Uh, just recently, I actually started doing like no audiobooks, no nothing, just to clear my head and just really have that time for myself and to be that anchor for my day and know that no matter what is going on, that 15 to 20 minutes or 45 minutes or an hour, like that's my precious time where I can just kind of get into that zone and have a clear head for the rest of the day. What have you been doing over the last couple of months to kind of manage stress and just keep, keep chugging along? Cause I know you and I are both not the people to just use COVID as an excuse to sit on the sidelines and not keep, keep at it with our businesses and keep growing and, and making things happen. So how do you like, what do you do to, to kind of manage your stress and just keep a, a clear head and a fresh mind every day? And obviously there are some days where it's easier than, than others, but, um, but do you have any advice or like any kind of, you know, golden nuggets that have always served pretty well for you? Yeah. I mean, no, I don't think anything I'm doing is revolutionary to myself. I think it's more uh, an absorption of other successful people. Um, I've found a couple of things, you know, when I wake up, I really, and I think I got this from Gary Keller, the Keller Williams, um, franchise creator owner. And he just talks about when he wakes up, he does the most important thing for each part of his, his world. And he knocks those out in the morning. And so if that's, you know, making a client phone call first thing and and getting that done, if that's, you know, giving your dog the bowl of food, that's going to make that dog's day better. If it's, you know, when your wife comes in from work, you give her the kiss and that makes the rest of the afternoon better. Like if you know these little things that can just significantly improve and if you can take care of those early in your day, it leaves more of the day for you. And I think what's, what's troubling or, or difficult with the work from home is that it's kind of a blob right? There's no longer a clear delineation between work and home, right? You can put all your work on Basecamp or Slack and you can text your wife on the messages, but it comes through the same screen, right? And it's always there. It's omnipresent. And for some people that that's going to drag them down. And so, you know, to find ways to kind of keep their um, sanity and to keep some clarity and have time for yourself, I think is important. Um, meditation. I mean, that's been a tough one for me and I still don't succeed with it every day, but as someone who has a lot of racing thoughts, very over analytical mind, the internal conversation we have with ourselves sometimes is really exhausting. And I mean, just think about all the conversations you have with yourself. We talk to ourselves more than anybody else, brother. And those conversations over time do fatigue us and, you know, to give ourselves a space. And I mean, I've gotten to the point with meditation and it's not like every time you step up to the meditation plate, it's a home run. It's very dependent on the mood. Sometimes it lasts a minute. I really got frustrated at the beginning, focusing on time. I was so concerned about, I've got to meditate for five minutes or three minutes. I came up with a really simple chant and I I repeated over and over. I've also found that journaling before the meditation helps as someone who has this really over analytical mind, just having this brain dump of like, I'm really worried about, and then sometimes it's two sentences and sometimes it's two pages. (laughs) I've found that that makes the meditation easier because I've, I've allowed it a place. And it's as much as we don't want to be 
creatures of habit and feel like we're routine based. We are. And the more we get in this habit of, of coming up with the system, just like we talked about with businesses and having a system to store this baggage, to put it somewhere, it, it becomes therapeutic. It becomes predictable and your body adapts in my view over time and learns, Hey, I maybe don't need to scream at my wife right now. I can write it in my journal or something like that. Um, and I've also found that rereading the journals is pretty funny because 90% of the worries are really silly. You know, they're not these grandiose things like, Oh, I'm going to die tomorrow. It's does the client think that my text, did he read my message the wrong way? Or, you know, did that phone call not go as well? I mean, it's very like, that's what I found at least internally. And I don't know if that's just me, but I don't know. And then of course the exercise man and food, we are what we eat. And it's, it's funny to me working in the CBD space, how many times we had people come in and they would pull the bottle of tincture up and you could tell they don't take care of themselves. Right. And they want it as like a mere miracle. Like they want to say, Hey, if I take this CBD, cause that's really easy, I'll feel better. And, you know, there, there's a big balance, right? Like you can't feel great if you're eating processed food all day. So I think that's just a really big piece of it. Yeah, I remember I was at um, I was at a, a Franny's Pharmacy location actually up in up in Westport, Connecticut. And I was talking to one of the staff and they were saying how, just like you just described, people will come in and they look at this as like the Swiss Army knife. But when they talk to the people that come in, they ask, you know, do you do yoga? How much water do you drink on a daily basis? Are you exercising? Oh, you're, you had an issue with your hip. Well, there's this stretch that you can do. Like, have you incorporated that? And then they come back and they have these follow-up conversations and, and questions. And people are just so intrigued at how, like how much more there is to this. And there really is no, whether it's like a pill or whether it's like a tincture for CBD, like there's no, there's no like one thing. And that's why I heard this the other day. I forgot who said it, but it really stuck with me. There's no key to anything. Like there's no key to success. There's no key to happiness. It's almost like a combination and everybody's combination is different. And when I heard that, I was like, whoa, okay. I think, I think there's, there's a lot of validity to that. And you mentioned this earlier, you know, there's certain things that you do that maybe aren't ideal for everybody else. And there are things that other people do that work for them that maybe you've incorporated and you've tried that don't really, you know, work for you. So it's just, it's interesting how everybody's got their own code and their own combo that, that works for them. One thing you touched on too was the phones. And this is something I haven't realized, but it's so true that no matter whether it's a text message coming in from your wife or your loved one or a phone call or an email coming in from a client, it's all coming in through the same screen. And so it's very difficult to kind of have that distinction of, of what's what. Uh, this was about a year ago. I remember you and I were having a conversation about like just being like, oh my God, like we need to disconnect and just have like, you know, a day of just like nothing, like no, no notifications, no nothing just to kind of reset. And you were like, yeah, man, I really just want to throw this thing in a cabinet and like lock it away. Um, how do you, like you personally now, like from then to now, how do you deal with like the notifications from phones and like the screens and like all that? Do you have like a cutoff time where you I just turned say, a lot hey, of them off, dude? I, I mean, that's, that's where I've started. And I read a little bit of um, a biography or I was an article somewhere and the founder of Tom's, I want to say his name is Tom, but I don't really know. His <laughs> name. Um, he, yeah. he got, he has two phones now and he has a business phone and he has a very simple flip phone that he keeps on him for emergencies. And the work phone's the work phone and it comes out during work hours and it's put away. 
And, you know, I've really thought about that next year. Like, you know, even when we go out, like even when we're, you know, like think of this really cool trip or place you want to be, we get there and we document it with the phone. Like we don't even immerse ourselves in the experience. And I'm a huge, like I've seen thousands of concerts in my lifetime, you know, and when I started going to concerts, people lit a lighter. That's, that was what it did. Like, held, and now it's yeah. the cell phone camera and, you know, the dude's standing there and I'm holding my, my hands in front of my head, but he's just videoing the live experience in front of him. And I've actually read some information. I don't know if it's true or not, that says the brain is a muscle and it's remembering the situation if you engage it. And if you don't engage it in the situation and you're re- literally just recording the data on a device, you're not storing it in your brain. That memory is no longer supplanted the same way that it used to be. And so, yeah, you can tap into it later or, you know, this and that. And sure, you can post it on social media. But did you really have the experience, you know? And God, I mean, I'll tell you, 80% of the fights with my partner, communication, dude. I'm looking at my phone. She's talking to me and I'm not listening. And it's like, it's almost like a joke now. And I I got to do something about it because... It, it, it's just not healthy. And it's not like it's going to change in five years. It's not like these devices are going to go away. Right. I've got to come up with a process. So, I mean, I'm open to any feedback, but I don't think I've nailed that one at all. That's uh, the idea to have two separate phones and just, you know, after a certain time, just kind of put it face down, leave it in the home office or something. That sounds like a really good one. Good one. And I might actually consider doing that because it's just, it's hard. It's hard when you're, you know, you tell yourself, okay, seven o'clock is the cutoff or five or whatever it is. And then you go to open up your phone to text a buddy or, you know, text your loved one and say, you know, Hey, you know, meet me here for dinner or whatever it might be. And then all of a sudden at the same time, you get a call or a text come in from a client. Like you can't not, it's, it's weird, but it's like, you can't not answer it. It's, it's It's so weird how we're like sucked into these things. Well, and here's another layer too is, and I think there's a silver lining here with, with COVID is that we've expanded our reach. Like I'm working with clients in all time zones now, which I don't think that would have been possible or the norm a year ago. So it's a silver lining, right? Like I'm not looking at it as all bad. However, now given that I'm in five time zones and I work in five time zones, there is never, it's a 24 hour clock, dude. It's CNN of digital marketing. We've got West Coast clients that run multiple businesses. They hop on late at night. I'll get up at 4am to use the restroom, do a quick check, which is my mistake. And then all of a sudden I'm on project management tool and I never go back to sleep. Um, and so, I, yeah, I've got to, I've got to come up with a way and, and, you know, for, uh, the two phones, I mean, they did that when I was an administrator in a public school. And so we had two phones and I really got to this. I liked it, you know, cause it was, this is my work phone. This is my, my private phone. No one had the other number. It was very, because there they would subpoena your phone. Like if, you know, something happened, it was very likely. And they're like, you trust me, you don't want to have your phone together. So we're going to give you a separate one and pay for it. And I had that for a few years and I kind of liked it um, because it's, it's a lot easier to hide the whole device. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's really good advice. I like that. Um, one of the, one of the things I wanted to ask you too, cause I know, I know you're a lifelong learner and you know, this, 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 growth mindset kind of concept never shuts off for, for either one of us. And so what's something that you feel like you've learned working in the cannabis space that maybe you wouldn't have been able to learn and absorb in any other industry, just because of the, just because of the nascency of the industry and how regulated and how, just how 
it's kind of like the wild west right now. And it's been that way over the last year or so. So what are your thoughts on that? Um, I think being understanding of different people's backgrounds is one understanding that not everybody comes to the cannabis space with a pedigree of business experience and everyone has a different relationship with the plant. And I'm only a sum of my experiences. I had a very, you know, um, spoiled upbringing i'm very like lucky in that sense and and so i've tried to take that with a grain of salt that like you know not everyone's going to be as polished as i am not everyone's going to be as put together you know maybe their website's not as good but their intention i think generally if they're here to work with the cannabis plant which is my personal passion um then then we'll get past it um but i've also learned that i don't know you it's, it's exciting, but it's also, you know, I see a lot of profiteering going on. I see people taking advantage. And so I'm just, I'm kind of neutral on it right now. I'm really just like trying to position ourselves to take advantage of the growth that's coming down the road, um, being really flexible with clients, understanding that, you know, things are changing constantly. The regulations are changing constantly. Um, understanding that these people are taking big risks. You know, I've got a client, um, they're gearing up to you know, more grow space in the hopes that like legislation may change. And, right. you know, just trying to be supportive of all that um, and trying to guide the folks. You know, I look, we were doing some research um, in some Washington uh, state dispensaries. And, you know, if we want to be taken seriously as an industry, you can't have cookie cutter graphic design that calls your product animal cookies or, and it looks like it was made in a high school marketing class. And I don't mean that to be disrespectful, but we have to, as an industry, be professional. And while it's great to acknowledge where everyone came from, we've got to come out the other end as a professional industry that is regulatory, that keeps the product out of the hands of kids. It's not marketing. We don't want to be viewed as the fireball industry. Like that's how people look at alcohol and those particular kind of, you know, and that's, it's not where we want to be. So I think there's a lot. I think it's been uh, an interesting year, you know, totally. Um, I see a lot of, of folks struggling in the CBD space, you know, and I'm still seeing new people come to the space, right? Like 2020, their idea is to start a CBD company. You know, at that, it, it's just, it's always interesting. So. Yeah. You mentioned a lot of new people coming into the space. What do you feel? So wait, let me back that up. I think relationship building is huge in any kind of business setting, especially in cannabis, just because of just because of how new it is and how people have different backgrounds. And I I think people understanding people and getting to know them and being able to communicate effectively is going to be critical to any any business professionals success in their space and their role, no matter what they're doing how have you kind of approached relationship building and networking as a business owner now? Um, and even before, even in your role as, as like a franchise director uh, with Franny's pharmacy, do you have any kind of go-to pieces of advice for people trying to get better at relationship building or, or networking, or just trying to create a foundation or a solid Rolodex of people that they can kind of call on and have in their circle? Cause I think that's a huge part of business that a lot of times in, in, you know, grad school or business school, they don't really teach you about. Right. Um, I think a lot of that comes from my experience in a public school where I had quote unquote clients and the clients were the families and I had 900 families and I really was required 
like you can just imagine how the conversation would go. Parent walks in. I don't know their name. Like that's not going to be a very, you know, great start to a conversation. Sure. So it was expected that I knew their names. You know, if we had met, it was expected that I knew the children's names first and last. I knew their story. And so you multiply that out by 900. It's a lot of data uh, in my brain. And so I really became when I came to marketing and I kind of distilled that down into these relationships. It didn't seem overwhelming. And I guess what I learned in, in the um, education space and same with bartending, to be honest, I learned a lot of bartending, um, ask questions first, like learn who they are in the first five to 10 minutes. They always give you something that if if you're thinking about it, you can latch on to where they're from, what they do. Do they have a family? What are their hobbies? And then push it. Right. Um, a great example. We had a call the other day. People are mountain bikers. I told a great mountain biking story, right? It was a funny story. I broke my collarbone. But through that story, we, we made a strong connection and they'll always remember that story. Um, and I think with relationships, letting them develop organically, not being focused on a close or a sale. And what I try to do is add value to them first, right? I had a call the other day, guy does point of sale cannabis networking in Ohio, Kentucky, Tennessee, great guy to know. He's got tons of contacts in the space. I sent him all my information. I sent him my deck. But afterwards, I CC'd him with a couple of folks from my network that I felt like would be a good connection for him. Didn't cost me anything. He sees that, hey, I'm looking to build a relationship versus just extracting cash from you. For sure. And guess what? His next email was like, hey, I forwarded your information to our digital marketing manager. We'd love to have a meeting next week to talk about it. So, uh, and, and things sometimes are slow plays, right? Like I've been working with one company since July. I call it relationship capital. I've been building relationship capital with them, giving them referrals, little tidbits of strategy here. Um, they're doing a large raise for a, a large e-commerce business and positions myself really well at some point next year to be their provider in digital marketing support um, for a company that has great potential. And if you're focused on extracting the revenue last summer, I would have never got to next summer. So just some just little tidbits. Yeah, no, I, I love that. That's all of that is so true. And yeah, I think I think going in for the closer, just constantly being like, okay, how can I get the sale? How can I get this? How can I get this? Like focusing on yourself all the time is definitely a surefire way to have all of that time and energy and effort just backfire on you. And it's not going to leave a good taste in people's mouths when that's kind of how you come across. Yep. I agree. And, you know, just listen and, and don't try to sell them something they don't need. And I always will ask people, and I do this with quotes. I, if they want a website redesign, I give them level one, level two, level three. Where do you fall in that? Like, what are you willing to do today when it really comes down to closing? And I find by framing it that way and allowing them to answer the question, then I just typically give them what they ask for. And it's a lot harder to say no. Well, I can spend $1,500, Brandon. That's where it would feel good. Cool. Let's do it. All right. Hmm. And they made the decision versus me making the decision. I've also found too with sales, having a calendar link and having them book the call, the, the response rate, the interest rate, there's just something psychologically about them going in and, and setting the time, the location, kind of having control over that, that then kind of puts them at ease a little bit more versus me uh, kind of being the other way around, if that makes sense. I totally agree. I use a Calendly and man, I've like, 
I don't feel pushy at all. Like that's never really been like my, my style of communication. I'm, I'm not really a pushy kind of guy. And to me, Calendly is perfect because it doesn't kind of put you in a position where you're like, you know, trying to like hunker them down and like, okay, when can we do this? When can we do this? It's just kind of like, cool, you know, at your leisure, go ahead and, you know, book a yeah. call. And sometimes it doesn't happen right away. Sometimes it takes maybe a week or sometimes it takes a couple months, but it, it's just, it's a great tool. And I, I love that you brought that up. Well, and that's where you got to really take the human piece, right? Like just because they didn't respond today, it doesn't mean it's against you. Their mom could be sick. Their baby could be, I mean, they could be, you know, having to deal with an internal issue with an employee. I mean, there's a multitude of things. And so often we just internalize that and make it about ourselves, right? Oh man, they didn't like my pitch or my price was too high or whatever, you know, trust yourself, do what you know and stick with it. And, you know, touch base with them. Hey, how you doing? Hope everything's well. Do you have any questions? You know, you don't have to like beat it dead, right? Uh, to stay <laughs> yeah. engaged with people and to keep touching, you know, consistently through a sales cycle because people do like to be reminded and they, you know, oh, he's still thinking about me. He's worried, you know, just little things like that. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's great advice. Um, I want to be conscious of your time, but man, I really appreciate you jumping on really, really appreciate you jumping on today. And, um, and just, you know, having this conversation, it's, it's been pretty sweet that we've been able to kind of develop from a, you know, kind of like a colleague or like business relationship kind of now into being friends and just being able to have these conversations and kind of shoot the shits back and forth and brainstorm with each other. Um, if people want to find you and connect with you or reach out to Pisca Peaks, what's the best way for them to do that? Sure. Uh, so they can go on our website. It's PiscaPeaksVentures.com. And Pisca is, if you're not familiar, a national forest in North Carolina, it's P-I-S-G-A-H, Peaks, like Mountain Peak, P-E-A-K, Ventures. Um, you can also email me at Brandon at the same tag. So Brandon at PiscaPeaksVentures.com. And Mike, I really appreciate it. Um, Mike does great work. You know, we're always super excited to connect with Mike. And I see lots of fun things in the horizon. I see a great year ahead of us. Um, so I appreciate your time. Have a great holiday and look forward to reconnecting soon likewise brother all right guys that is it for this week's episode we will catch you next time thanks for listening to today's show to check out more great cannabis podcasts go to podconnects.com here's a preview of one of our other shows hi i'm gary and i invite you to discover the cannabis podcast a bi-weekly podcast focused on a canadian's cannabis culture I would be the Canadian, and my cannabis passion and culture has been building for five decades. I share that passion for this wonderful plant in every episode, through conversations with cannabis advocates and enthusiasts, stories about the ever-changing legal environment, and some hands-on testing of product in a segment I call Cultivar Corner. The Cannabis Podcast, a Canadian's cannabis culture, one token at a time.